Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the fourth episode of our series, and we're using the Tan edition of the Confessions. Today we explore Book 2, Chapters 1 through 10, St. Augustine's thoughts and recollections concerning his early youth. Let's begin with a prayer and the saint's own words from this passage. Lord, it is you I long for, O justice and innocence, lovely and graceful to the light of honest eyes. You I crave with a fullness that can never be filled. With you there is true rest and life that can never be troubled. Amen. My wife and I have a saying about the challenges of parenting. Little children, little problems. Big children, big problems. Judging from St. Augustine's memories, I have a suspicion that his parents, Patricio and Monica, might well have said the same thing. Little Gus tested their patience with laziness, dishonesty, disobedience, cheating, and the like. But now we'll learn how those little kid problems gave way to big kid problems in his youth. It's not pretty. The saint confesses, I burned in my youth to get my fill of hell, and I made bold to go wild in the dark woods of various loves, and my beauty faded away, and I stank in your sight, Lord, while I pleased myself and longed to please the eyes of men. The sins he is about to confess are quite serious. Why does Augustine feel compelled to make this all public? I wish to call to mind the ways I was befouled, he says, and the fleshly corruptions of my soul, not because I loved them, but so that I may love you, my God. I am doing this for the love of your love, retracing my wicked paths in the bitterness of my remembrance, so that you may become sweet to me. You, the sweetness that does not beguile, sweetness that is happy and free from care. So may you gather me up from the shattered fragments into which I was strewn, when I turned aside from you who are whole and one, and I wasted myself upon the many. We encounter here two great themes in Augustine's thought. The first is that sin shatters us, it fragments us, and it scatters the fragments. God has created us to be whole, to have an inner unity and integrity and even harmony. But our sin has smashed all of that. And on our own, we're like the king's men who can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Our hearts then aren't just restless, as the saint said in the opening passage of this work. They are at war with themselves, falling apart into factions. This image echoes St. Paul's words in the seventh chapter of his letter to the Romans, when he declares that in his inmost self, he desires God, 
but within his members he sees another law at war with the law in his mind, making him captive to the law of sin. To put it another way, the word heart refers above all to the will and the affections of the will. Our hearts then are restless and at war because our will finds itself chasing one thing after another, going many directions at once and ultimately dissipating itself, squandering its affections. As Augustine describes it here, I wasted myself upon the many. Such restless fragmentation can find healing only in learning to love God most of all, with a whole heart, a heart with inner integrity, because it is united in its love for God. The psalmist prays to God, unite my heart. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Greek word translated here as pure actually means without mixture. It's like a bottle of orange juice that says 100% pure orange juice. It means that what's inside is only one thing, without mixture. Nothing has been added to dilute it or adulterate it. When Jesus promises then that the pure in heart will see God, he invites us to love God with a whole heart, for purity of heart is to will one thing, to desire union with God above all else. The second great theme introduced here, closely related to the first, is the notion that love can be disordered. It's not just that loving too many things can pull us in too many directions so that we're restless and distracted and scattered. Love can be disordered within itself. How can that be? Isn't love always a good thing? Like the Beatles used to sing, I'm telling my age now, isn't it true that love is all you need? Well, Augustine reminds us, it all depends on the object of our love and what it is that we love more or love most. We may love certain good things, but we must love people more than things, and we must love God most of all. Why? Because people are more worthy of our love than things, and God is most worthy of our love. He must be our first love. Otherwise, our disordered love leads us to sin. To illustrate, Augustine is known for an example he gives in another place of the way a thief loves. When a thief steals from someone, he does so out of love but it's a disordered love. Why? Because he loves money, and he loves money more than he loves the person from whom he steals, and more than he loves God, who has commanded him not to steal, because it's wrong. On the other hand, the Christian martyr loves life, because it is a good gift from God, but he willingly gives up his life for his Lord's sake, because he loves God even more than he loves life. He loves the giver, more than the gift. And so Augustine declares to God, I am doing this for the love of your love, so that you may become sweet to me, you the sweetness that does not beguile, sweetness that is happy and free from care. Keep in mind that in Augustine's native Latin, one of the words for love is delectio, which also means delight, pleasure. And speaking of the sweetness of God, he echoes the words of the psalmist, that life with God is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. If God is so sweet then, what else was so sweet to Augustine that it could lure him away from God? What were the special temptations 
and the special weaknesses of his particular temperament that led him down the path of sinful habits. He recalls, What was it that delighted me but to love and to be loved? But I did not hold to the due measure, the bright boundary path of true friendship that binds one soul to another. Mists came breathing up from the muddy cravings of the flesh and the springs of puberty, and they overcast and darkened my heart so that I could not tell the difference between the clear skies of genuine love and the fog of lust. Both love and lust roiled in confusion, and they swept my weakling youth over the falls of desire and plunged me into a gulping whirlpool of crimes. The saint confesses that in his youth, he and his friends praised one another for their sexual exploits, competed to see who could sin the most, and even lied to exaggerate their misdeeds. In this way, they spurred one another to sin. He loved his friends, and he loved to be loved by his friends more than he loved God. How many of us can identify with that temptation? The desire to be popular, the drive to fit in with those around us, the hankering to influence others and be influenced by the crowd. All these urges lead to sin and misery when our friends become more precious to us than God. That disorder in Augustine's heart, he confesses, was intensified by the muddy cravings of the flesh and the gushing springs of puberty, the raging hormones of adolescence, the theme of restless wandering, confusion, inner conflict, and dissipation continues. I went far away from you, he cries to God, and you let me go, and I was tossed here and there, spilled out, overflowing, frothing over in my fornications, and still you kept silent. Oh, my joy, so late in coming, you kept silent then, and as for me, I took my way farther and farther from you, into more and more fields where no seed can grow but sorrow, proud in my downheartedness, restless in my languor. Though he laments that God let him do all this and remain silent as he did all this, I don't think that Augustine is accusing God of neglect. The saint's bitter complaint is against himself. He is taking responsibility for what he did and who he became, which is an essential element of a genuine confession of sin. He is simply describing the wretched condition of the wandering soul, whose free will God has created, which God insists on honoring rather than overthrowing. For that would turn the sinner into nothing more than a puppet. Throughout his life, Augustine will struggle mightily with understanding the mystery of human free will and the nature of its relations with divine providence. Yet he knows that God desires not puppets, but sons and daughters who know and love him. As the book's fascinating story unfolds, we see that the prodigal son Augustine will indeed return one day to the loving father who faithfully awaits him as in the parable Jesus told. But in the meantime, the father allows the prodigal to leave home and to waste himself in dissipation until the moment comes when the son finally comes to himself, as Jesus said, and decides to return. If only someone had been there to ease my trouble, Augustine cries out, to turn to good use, the fleeting beauty of those new things I love. Here we begin to catch a few glimpses of the saint's parents. Augustine regrets their failure to help him redirect his desires into a more virtuous path. 
he recalls, My elders did not trouble to snatch me from ruin by getting me married, but they took great care that I should learn how to work up a mighty speech and persuade people by my words. He recalls vividly one particular incident with his father. The thorn bushes of lust grew rank over my head, and there was no hand to root them out. Rather, my father saw me one day at the baths and noticed how I was coming of age, endowed with the restless stirrings of first manhood, and he told my mother about it with joy, as if grandchildren were already on the way. He rejoiced like a drunken man, drunk with the wine the world drinks, when it forgets you, its creator, and loves the creature in your place. His mother, at least, thought it was best, he admits, to trammel up within the bounds of conjugal love what she knew was an infection now and a dangerous threat to come. She warned her son not to commit fornication or adultery, and Augustine now realizes that God actually was not silent during this period of his life. He was speaking through the young man's mother, but Augustine was deaf to her warnings. In the end, since marriage at that young age might have prevented him from pursuing an academic career, and his mother thought that great learning might actually bring him closer to God, even she stopped encouraging him to marry, so he continued to wallow in sin. Again, Augustine is not trying to escape the blame for his vices. His words about his parents are tinged with regret, not with bitterness. He has said that he's writing down these confessions so that his readers can learn from them. So he's warning parents here, you should be at least as concerned for your children's souls as you are for their careers. And now we come to one of the most famous episodes from Augustine's narrative. He is mortified even to recall the misdeed and for that reason, critics have accused him of scrupulosity. But the saint looks deep into his heart to discover, painfully, that it was actually no small thing. In stealth by night, the young man once joined a few of his friends to steal the pears from a neighbor's tree. Were the boys hungry and needed to eat them? No. Were they poor and needed to sell them? No. The pears were obviously of poor quality, and they threw most of them to a herd of swine. So what could have possessed them? What could have possessed Augustine to do such a thing? It was foul, he confesses, and I loved it. Then he goes on to speak of disordered loves. When we ask about some wicked deed and why it was done, he observes, the usual reply is that it came from a hunger for one or another of these good but lower things, if we think we can get it, or from a fear of losing it. So what kind of disordered love led Augustine to this sin? What did he love more than the people from whom he stole, more than God himself who commanded him not to steal? He considers the possibilities. He didn't love the pairs themselves. Did he love the heady feeling of power and independence it gave him? Because through his stealth, he could break the law and do whatever he wanted without consequences? Augustine finally answers the question, with a key insight. Had I been alone, he says, I would not have done it. So then it was the company I loved, the gang I did it with. Just as it had been with his sexual escapades, the close friends of this popular, amiable young man were bound to one another by a mutual love that became disordered because they preferred their camaraderie with each other to friendship with God. 
There was no pleasure for me in the pairs, he concludes. It lay in the crime itself, committed by a company of sinners together. And how often is that the case for us as well? We may not be led to break the laws of God and the state by our friendships and other associations, but how often do we act in ways we shouldn't out of a hunger for acceptance or popularity or belonging or out of a fear of rejection or isolation or loneliness? Augustine concludes, Oh, friendship, all too unfriendly. Let's conclude with the words from a prayer in this book. I shall love you, Lord, and give you thanks and confess your name because you have forgiven me so many evil and unspeakable deeds. I account it to your grace and merciful heart that you have melted my sins away like ice. Amen and God bless. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.